And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, everybody working up. Everybody's working. With that time, Jersey. One thing we definitely can't say about today's show is that we're likely to run out of things to talk about. Welcome in to the latest edition of Times Ours here on The Athletic. I'm Joshua Briscoe with Nate Taylor and Seth Kaiser. And I'll let you know off the top here, this podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. My friends, there was a extensive lightning delay that didn't, that provided all of the electricity that Kansas City could muster over the course of that game. Everything else seemed to fizzle out. Both sides of the ball had some small ups and extremely large downs, and the Chiefs are back below 500. And I don't know if the, there's a differentiation between a panic button and a concern button or a panic button and a big question mark button. I don't know what button you guys are hitting at this point, but I'm at least hitting the I'm not having a whole lot of fun watching the Chiefs play football button, and I haven't hit that button in several years. Ladies and gentlemen, it's okay. You can hit the panic button. You can. I have authorized Ooh. all Chiefs fans... To hit the panic button. That was not good. <laughs> In a primetime game with everyone watching, and you're supposed to um, restore order in the AFC, they got dragged. Uh, it's it's okay to panic. It's okay to panic on October 11th, 2021. Um the fun thing about this is, as to what Josh said, this is different. This is new. Uh, even in the era of this podcast, uh, we have never reached week six knowing that the team has underwhelmingly performed in a lot of different areas. Um, but I, I feel like it's it's totally normal for fans to panic and... Even when the Bills are like, I mean, we've already handled the task. I'm sitting in a locker room just waiting to play 30 more minutes. And they kind of just like, yeah, I guess we're in like kind of in the motions. And their league expands? <laughs> <laughs> that is not good. Um, it's completely fine to hit the panic button. And I think for this team, Josh and Seth, they're going to have to really acknowledge fully uh, who they are now Um, because they are not as good as they think they are. And I think the sooner they acknowledge that, Mm -hmm. the sooner they can get to being a true contender in the AFC. Seth, how do you feel? 
I think that's a really good way of framing it because it captures both things. So everything I'm about to say and everything I'll say throughout the entirety of this, in case I don't say it a couple more times, the Chiefs could win a Super Bowl this year. And there's a lot of people, oh, yeah, because everyone's in their emotions right now. They could. When you've got a great quarterback and you've got a, you've got an offense that up until last night looked excellent, borderline unstoppable, if not unstoppable. Um, this you, season, like this, yeah. this year's version of the offense, right? Those four games. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, they, 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 they played a tough schedule, blah, 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 blah. The chiefs could win a super bowl this year. They could, they could get it right. And, and, and go all the way. I think it's, I, I think it's less likely than I would have thought heading into the season, but they're still a contender. So I like that you added that in there. Like none of this is to say that the, the, the idea that they could still contend that hasn't changed. You know, oh, the defense is garbage. Well, we know that defenses statistically tend to kind of even out even over the course of a season. The odds of them continuing to be historically bad are unlikely. Not impossible. And we'll get into that. But unlikely. But there is something else. Like for me, one thing I enjoy in some ways about this job is when I get a chance to take off the, the analyst hat and try to really think of things like a fan. That's what made the Super Bowl so fun, right? So it's made watching Patrick Mahomes so fun. And so would you guys mind if I, if I read, I, I feel like something bigger happened than just losing one game. Would, would you mind if I, if I read at the beginning of the article oh, I wrote about this? We're doing a table read. Okay. Let we're me do a up, table read. Let me pull up uh, to the, to the fire. Uh, I have some, uh, I have my drink. I, I'm ready to enjoy. Go, go ahead. Can, you can read along at mnchiefsfan.substack.com. No, no. I, I just want to, I just want to hear the auditor. <laughs> That is well. Seth I think Kaiser. yeah. I'm just the listeners should at least like yeah. subscribe for twelve dollars a year. But and, let Seth read too. <laughs> and and listeners, tell me what you think of this because I mean I don't know. I mean I could always I could start a podcast where I just read my articles. <laughs> all right. So this is I I I, I really wanted to because I, I wrote about all the ways the defense is struggling, like the two main concerns last week. All of those are the same. We just saw a bunch of it. There's some other stuff that cropped up that we can talk about for sure. But I didn't, I, everyone jumps in, right, to talk about all the things that went wrong. And so I kind of want to just take a step back and try to figure out why I was so bummed last night because it is just one game. It is October 3rd. So, and I read. That's not how my article started. That was yeah, it was very, a real run-on sentence that yeah, you need an editor. Yeah, yeah. Who, needs, who needs periods and commas? All right. <clears throat> Take a breath, man. Uh, as someone who writes, <laughs> boy, do I abuse these semicolons. Um, from February second, twenty twenty, until approximately eleven p.m. Central Time Sunday, I've been able to avoid that sinking feeling regarding the Chiefs. You know, that feeling, the one that settles deep into your gut and stays there no matter what happens to finish a game. That feeling of pessimism or perhaps realism. Who's to say? Settling over every thought you have about a team you love like some kind of thick, mopey cloud that keeps sending cold rain every few minutes. That feeling that the problems probably outnumber the solutions and there's not much to be done about it. You know that feeling. The one that Chiefs fans lived with for decades upon decades until Patrick Mahomes came to town. The one that made us all doubtful that any big move would pan out or that any breaks were going to come our way or any lead was sufficient to feel safe in a big game. That feeling you don't even realize has sapped you of some of your joy as a fan. The feeling that becomes such a part of you, such a weird weight on the experience of sports, that it would, when it gets lifted off you, the emotions are almost uncontrollable. 
That's that's how I opened the article, and and following that was the the tweet that I tweeted when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, which included me sinking to my knees, weeping. And I, I was just thinking about that. I went back and watched it because that's what I do when I'm feeling sad, <laughs> or I like or I like watch videos of my kids and stuff too, um, or you know I like read Psalms or something like that. But that's a whole other conversation. If the Super Bowl doesn't work, you go to your kids. If the kids don't work, you go to the Bible. But you yeah, definitely if I get, start if I get with the football video. If I get real desperate, there's probably something wrong with that. But I'll think no, about no, no, that no. another I think, day. I think um, you nailed it. <laughs> so here's one thing that I just realized. I've I've often wondered, like, people cry when they're happy, and I get that. But for me, the primary feeling that I felt when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl was relief. And I never really stopped to think about why that was weird, because I didn't realize it was weird. But what was I getting relief from? And I realized that there was just this weight, and and this is dumb because it's sports, but why lie about it? We care, right? We care so much that we treat it like real life. And for years as a Chiefs fan, there was always this weight, right? You expected Andrew Luck to recover that fumble and dive into the end zone. You did. You expected Lynn Elliott to miss that field goal. You did. You, you waited for it. You knew it was coming. Marcus Mariota caught his own pass, guys. That, I mean, come on. That was the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Forward progress. Oh, I'm still mad about it. Like, that one gets me hot talking about it. DJ deserved better than that. Anyway, but like, you, you just get this, like, you just expect it to go wrong, right? There's a reason people used to say, because Chiefs. And that was what broke with Mahomes. And it didn't break right away, right? Like, he, he was awesome, and it was great, and 2018 was amazing. But you still, like, I wasn't st- Stunned when D Ford went off sides. You know what I mean? I was so disappointed, but I wasn't stunned. You know what stunned me? When Damian Williams burst through the left side of the line of scrimmage and I knew it was over. That stunned me. And that's why I chose, by the way, in case you don't realize, February 2nd, 2020 was when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. And ever since that day, because of the way they won it, because of that, that 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 relief from that feeling. The the feeling I've had since then, in a glorious era that spanned over 600 days, the best time as a fan that I've ever had, I expected things to go right and to turn around. I expected them to win every game. I ex- you know what I mean? Even when games are going bad, I just expected it. And now, and again. They could win the Super Bowl. They're an objectively good team that had a bad game against a really good team. It happens. But something got lost there, right? That aura of inevitability feels gone. And that makes me sad because that was so much fun. And I think once you lose that, I don't know if you get that back. You know what I mean? So that's my soliloquy there. So now that I've brought the podcast down to a screeching halt. I'm tearing up a little bit. It was just so, be- it was just so beautiful. <laughs> oh, shut up. You know what? I swear. I should have made more diabetes jokes last week. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't even have a retort for that right Nor now. Nor should I, you. I, I think, mean, I just think that's gonna That's going to have to just... That's just going to have to sit there. <laughs> um, so... On on that 
uh, on that soliloquy and that um, absolutely ravaging criticism of my chronic illness that I'm going to have to live with and manage for the remainder of my probably shortened life. Thank you, Seth. You're welcome. Uh, let's let's talk about let's talk about this game a little bit. Um, being there had to be interesting, Nate, because it was a, this was a psycho game from even just sort of like the framework of it. Because, again, you've got the lightning delay in the middle. It's a primetime game. There are people that were out, you know, in line tailgating from the crack of dawn, preparing mm-hmm. for the gates to open and all of that. And it it just didn't take very long for things to start looking kind of rough. And it also, at to Seth's point, very early on, I think, started feeling kind of familiar because of mm. what we've seen from this team in those losses this year, even in, in the wins to some extent. So what's your kind of overarching feeling? Um, you can, If you want to just read like four paragraphs from your wonderful story <laughs> up on The Athletic, you, you feel free. We have that precedent set now. We, we do, we do, but I, I'm not going to do that. Uh, the major theme that I wanted to um, highlight was it's so much of this game is mental and I know we spend a lot of time understanding strategy and tactics and, you know, which players should be on the field and what is the other team doing and what are you trying to do to counteract that. But but so much of this game is mental. And, and a lot of times, and this kind of goes back to Seth's point, for a long time the Chiefs were kind of in teams' heads. You know, their explosiveness, Mahomes' brilliance, um, whether – on script or improv, you know, improvising in the moment. Um, before, I guess week two, Lamar Jackson had never beaten Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Justin Herbert had never beaten Patrick Mahomes. Josh Allen had ne- had never beaten Patrick Mahomes, and so those coaching staffs of those teams knew that the players, the teammates of those quarterbacks knew that, and of course the quarterbacks themselves. We're very much aware of it. Psychologically, um, the AFC, in my opinion, is now wide open. And I just didn't think I would say that after five weeks into the regular season. Because I thought um, the Chiefs had done enough to sort of, you know, stabilize their their excellence. Um, given that their quarterback was, you know, obviously returning. Uh, much of their skilled players were returning. Uh, no one could have predicted. And, and this will be tough to acknowledge as we get further and further into the season. Nobody in that facility, nobody within the league that I really respect and talk to thought the Chiefs defense was going to be this bad. Like, no one, mm-hmm. no one anticipated that. And so, from a psychological standpoint, I just think teams now know it's capable. It's possible. Unlike a year ago where I felt like teams were trying their best and still knowing that they weren't quite to the quality uh, of what the Chiefs could do at their highest level. When the Chiefs got to their rarest of form um, and when they started executing consistently in a rapid manner, those games, for one reason or another, got out of hand. The Bills weren't close to the Chiefs last year. And I know, you know, mm-hmm. Bills fans were very, they were such a joy to watch last year because 
you know, you like it when a when a young fan base is like, wow, we have a really good team and we really believe it and it's a memorable season, even though I think most logical Bill fans will acknowledge that like they weren't winning the Super Bowl last year. But the Bills weren't close. The Ravens weren't close. Uh, I mean, the Chargers, I mean, they had their own issues. But, uh, you know, obviously we saw Herbert rise. I just think right now the Chiefs are going to have to go back to doing the dirty work of improving themselves and not necessarily leaning on their pedigree or their accolades of previous lore. Um, They've got to do it consistently now with this group, uh, which is slightly different than the team in 2020. And it's really different from the team in 2019. I, I, I would encourage fans, if they have time, look at the roster in 2019 and look at this roster. It's more different than you probably realize mm-hmm. after you get to, like, the top nine players on the team. So all this is to say, Tyron Matthew made a point, and I agree with him. I thought it was the most honest thing that he said of anybody after the game. Which is acknowledging that, hey, every team, and this is Tyron Matthew, quote, every team we play wants to beat us, and they want to beat us bad. And that is exactly what the Buffalo Bills intended to do, and it is what they did. And the Chiefs are not bringing the same level of intensity, the same level of focus and concentration. And if they do bring those things to the table, they're not doing them for a consistent amount of time in a 60-minute NFL game when the margins are much smaller now than they were a year ago. So um, the AFC is up for grabs. The Chiefs are still part of this equation. It is totally fine to hit the panic button because you thought you'd be leading the pack. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's the Bills conference number one seed to sort of lose. And this season is going to be different than any season before under Patrick Mahomes. And I think last night was sort of the demarcation of that. Like, hey, this this will be different. And whether this goes where, wherever this goes from here, I think Josh is is both fascinating, but also they've got to acknowledge to themselves, the 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 players and the coaches, that it is not gonna be 19. It's not gonna be what they were last year. They're gonna have to do it a different way. And that's what made the Patriots teams so incredibly remarkable was that as the season went along, they found out what made that version's team most successful. And then you actually had to beat them. Um, and I think if you're a Chiefs fan, that's what you hope the, the, the Chiefs get to. Maybe that is in November, early December, uh, as they're still a part of the, the playoff picture. Um, but you don't want the Chiefs to sort of beat themselves because no one's going to be afraid of them in January. I got a macro thing and and more of a micro thing from last night. And I think both of them touch on some stuff that you just mentioned there. The macro thing is that we spent a lot of time this offseason. And I'd spent a lot of time this offseason talking about the one thing that I, I thought needed to be emphasized in some big picture stuff, which is that once again, there is only one first round buy in the playoffs. The one seed is incredibly valuable because there's a 0% chance of you losing. You get an entire week off where everyone's body can heal up. Mm-hmm. And you can start looking ahead to whatever your opponents beyond the, that week may be. And it's week five. Or, or just, you know, we finished week five. 
And I think that's gone. I I do think the Chiefs could still win the Super Bowl, but I, I don't think they're going to do it with the first round bye because you're looking at a Bills team that's 4-1 and one with the tiebreaker. You're looking mm-hmm. at the Ravens who have the tiebreaker. Right now, the Chargers have the tiebreaker and also are 4-1 and one in mm-hmm. the AFC West. The division, I think, is still doable because the Chargers could lose a few games. The Chiefs could win their second matchup later on, and there's lots of things going to happen. There's a lot of games left. One extra than usual. But... I don't think it's ridiculous to go from talking about the one seed literally yesterday. It's something I talked about in, in all of our you know pregame coverage and everything. Hey, this is something that we need to keep an eye on here. It's why this game mattered so much for the Chiefs. To now, the conversation on Twitter today, I think relatively fairly, is, well, it's a good thing the playoffs have an extra team that are expanded in there because no <laughs> nobody from the AFC South or the AFC East is going to get a wild card spot. So you're going to get one from the North, one from the West, and then one more from one of those two divisions in all likelihood, which does leave the, the window a little farther open for the Chiefs. And so just on a macro level, I, I've got whiplash from how quickly that moved because that really did sort of change in one game for me. Being three and two with a win over the Bills and a win over the Browns already, I, I would have thought, you know what, if the Ravens stubbed their toe, if the Chargers stubbed their toe, one seed is still in play. Right now, it would take something really ridiculous. So that's the big macro thing. The micro Just, thing, go ahead. Uh, on a quick note on the macro thing, I sure. mean, to really emphasize this, because the Bills are four and one now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and with the tiebreaker, that means that if the Chiefs went undefeated from this point forward, from this point on, the Bills would need to lose another three games against what I think might be the easiest schedule in the NFL. And that division being, I don't know, I don't know how many times they've already played division opponents. I'd have they've, to go back only, and double they, check. They've only played one, the Miami Dolphins. They still have to play the Patriots twice, who were eh, the Jets, who were who, and yep. another game with the. Miami Dolphins, which are... Yeah, who are and way the, worse. They're worse the, than what people expected. And the Chiefs get the Chargers again, the Raiders twice, and the Broncos twice. And I think that the Raiders and, and Broncos are paper tigers to some extent. You know, I I don't I don't think either of them are going to end up being any sort of... Better than the Jets. Certainly better than the Jets, though. <laughs> I, and, and right now, I don't know, man. I... You, anybody listening right now doesn't think that uh, Teddy Bridgewater could put up 300 yards on this secondary? Because I think he probably could. Like I, I think that there's a chance and, of that. And the problem is he don't turn. He don't really turn the ball over unless you know it's in unless the it's game the very end of the game. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> yeah, fourth yeah. down, kids. He has to throw it somewhere. I mean, well, yeah. the Chiefs are very polite on defense. They don't take things that don't belong to them. <laughs> and so I mean, and they're very polite on offense because they're just very giving. It's yeah, just a very polite just, football team. Well, and that's, I mean, that that's where, I mean, I know we'll get into it at some point. I mean, the odds of them continuing. What was it, uh, Matty V, he said, what was it in the last 12 quarters they've turned the ball over 13 times or something insane like that? Yeah. Or in the last 13 quarters they turned over 12 times? I can't remember what it is. They're negative seven this year, I believe. Yeah. It's, it's hard to keep that up, you know. You, you are a couple of... It's so funny because you're always a couple of blah, blah, blah away from everything. But you are like three drops away from Mahomes having half the interceptions that he does. And maybe, you know, being four and one because they weren't beating the Bills. Good Lord. Like that. There were a lot of things like, a you know, roughing the quarterback call away from it. Um, 
But on a side note, the ref was so surprised to see Frank Clark actually hit Josh Allen. They just assumed it was illegal. Yeah, that can't be right. That (laughs) I I can just tell you that was it was it was that call, and then how that drive ended. That was the moment where for me it was like okay, because I thought that was it. You know what I mean? Because like you could feel it, and I'm telling you, we can't quantify these things. I don't know how much they matter. I really don't. But you could see it with teams, especially after the Chiefs Super Bowl run. When the Chiefs would start to go on there, and I first noticed it for the first time in the divisional round against the Texans in the 2019-2020 playoffs, because Romo kept talking about it. He's like, man, I'll tell you what, you can see them starting to tighten up because mm-hmm. they know what's happening right now. And and so people, you know, you hear it all the time, all oh, the Chiefs are going to go on their run, they're going to go on your run. And you could see it happen with teams. They um, There was a really great line about uh, during one of the Bulls championship runs, I think it was during the 92 season after they'd won their first title. Um, I can't remember which player it was, but they commented, maybe it was BJ Armstrong. He said, teams are quitting on us. They make a run, then we make our run, and they're content. They're like, oh, well, we gave it a shot. Hmm. Here it goes. And you could you could feel the game starting to go that direction. You could feel it that they were the Bills were about to tighten way up. Josh Allen was looking spooked, but but here's and a, they just couldn't do it. And but, it just that was the moment, and they lost it, and they deserved to lose it. Yeah, and, and my issue is even if Rashad Fenton's interception um, occurs because it's not yeah. nullified by a penalty. The Chiefs have to drive, I think, uh, almost two-thirds of the field, like 60 yards. I need to admit something. Um, I'm not sure they score a touchdown on that drive just because the Bills secondary played about as well as you could have asked. They were covering everyone. Everyone. Um, and There was that eight-second drop back where Mahomes just ran around for literally eight seconds. Nobody. Yes. Yes, and and I thought that was I thought that was a pivotal point when I when I was sort of sitting in the press box going, that was the right. By the way, that was the right call by Andy Reid. You go for it. It's seventeen ten. If you convert there, you kind of hold serve basically um, and, and tie the game up. I, I was fine going for it. Look, if they cover your receivers for eight seconds, uh they're playing better than you tonight. Like that was, I think that was the moment where I realized the game had, was was short of shifting. Was okay. Um, they had the right coverage. They executed that coverage. They executed the secondary routes based on Mahomes starting to scramble and, and, and extend the play. Uh, the spy uh, did just enough to prevent Mahomes from escaping the pocket, and then they were. St- you know, they were white on rice in the back end. I just, yes, Rashad Fitton, if he gets that interception, maybe they get a touchdown. But they're still down one score. And, again, you're asking that defense again to get another stop. I mean, it's it's asking a lot. The The, the Bills are a better team right now. And that's it's, it's totally okay to admit that, even if – Momentum was starting to swing in their favor to some degree. Um, I just, I don't know, man. Four four turnovers. I think, look, four turnovers in one game, kind of a weird statistical blip. Doing it two times in three weeks? Mm-hmm. Whew! I mean, yikes, man. Yikes. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Here's my micro thing specific to this game with again stuff that you guys have already touched on in a variety of ways because you've covered a ton of ground on this but with a possible exception for the interior offensive line because Joe Tooney played most of that game with a broken hand and was still very good Creed Humphrey seems like he's been very good Trey Smith is a grown adult man and I don't know maybe there were times that that they were getting pushed back some because Mahomes did not look comfortable at any point the entire game and I don't know how much of that is on him and how much is on the line and how much is on the tackles. We can get to that. But I'm mentioning the interior offensive line because I think it might be the only counterpoint to this. Did anybody, any unit, any individual, anyone to your mind not deserve some amount of criticism from the game? Because this this is what I was thinking about as, you know, post-game got, last got, night and everything. I got, I got one name in mind, but continue, sir. I just can't think of, again, the interior, and I can't wait to hear if you guys have somebody in mind. But, like, you could say, hey, Andy Reid did not call his best game by any means. It was the most conservative passing game I think I've seen, at least with a healthy Patrick Mahomes. Well, uh, if you go back to that Colts game. 
Sorry. Say Sorry, that again? I, I just couldn't help but break in there. And in the wrong way, too. They weren't running a lot of cover two zone beaters. Right, and, right, right. It, 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 it baffles the mind. You, get, you had guys running into zone area. It, like, I don't... I'm going to freak out, so I'm going to go ahead and let you finish. Sorry. Well, I want to. I want to know. I want to know what you think about how that offense unfolded because it was bonkers to me. But you you have a very conservative passing game in a way that's not working. And you're right. Not that every pass needs to be 75 yards downfield, but nothing was. Nobody was was making any sort of connections. Patrick Mahomes was skipping passes, and there was some interesting stuff both post game and then also from Andy Reid's presser today on that. If we have some time, we can circle back on that. Maybe why that's happening, but. Patrick Mahomes had maybe his actual worst game. Um, this was more frustrating to me than the Super Bowl was because the Super Bowl, at least you had Patrick Mahomes trying to play Superman. He was cosplaying a Superman and doing some crazy stuff and everyone around him was letting him down. That's frustrating. But in this case, Mahomes wasn't his himself. Obviously, the entire defense, um, the pass rush simply did not bother Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. The linebackers had their backs to the ball catchers as often as they had their shoulder pads on them, it seemed. That's probably mm-hmm. an exaggeration, but you you know the play I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, no Charvarius Ward, no Chris Jones, obviously you should mention both of those, but the coverage in this game was obviously a nightmare. And I don't know if it becomes bullying if I talk about Dan Sorensen more. I think I nope. emptied my entire clip yesterday, so I might leave that to you guys. Because it's beyond time for that guy. Like, it's hard to watch. Like, I feel bad for his family that's on Twitter if they spent any time on Twitter.com last night. Because everybody sees it. Except for maybe Steve Spagnuolo. And also, not even saying that Juan Thornhill instantly fixes any of that or all of that or whatever. It's just all bad. Um, I I think you could honestly give varying amounts of criticism to everyone from that game. Um, I'll, I'll give you the interior offensive line. Tell me who I'm missing. You, you go ahead, Nate. I know you got someone in mind. Uh, so you're saying the, the interior offensive line really doesn't deserve any criticism. That, that I don't think so. Okay. I haven't I haven't rewatched it, and I'm not blessed with the All-22 at this point, so I don't know. Maybe maybe on a on closer look, maybe the, the depth of pocket was not as good as it should have been, but that's that's my hunch off no, of a, the, the I mean, live watch. No, they're, they're fine. They, they, get, they earn a passing grade. I just wanted to uh, double-check that. I think the one guy who played better than people realize is Rashad Fitton. Yes. that's Yeah, sure. Uh, and then secondarily, remember when we used to worry about Harrison Bucker? <laughs> remember that time? Harrison yeah, Bucker. Yeah, he drilled. What was that 54 yards in the wind? Yes, in the rain. I mean, he, he he's playing, by the way, he's playing at like a Pro Bowl level. No one's mentioning this other than me, I guess. But Harrison Bucker played well, and I even thought... The Chiefs did the smart thing of like, okay, Harrison, kick it high, do a little funky twist to it, see if my man dropped, and he dropped the ball. He dropped the ball, and, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, the Bills were able to quickly recover it um, before the Chiefs could could get down there in coverage. But uh, those are my two guys. Is you know, uh, the Chiefs quietly really didn't need Rashad Fitton against the Eagles because the Eagles were like, well, we're throwing the ball in two seconds anyway. But mm-hmm. I thought. I thought Fenton held up pretty well against Stefan Diggs, because uh, that's a hard, it's a hard assignment. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. And so I will, I will give him a lot of praise. Again, if he makes that, you know, he technically made the interception, and then it was nullified by the penalty. So he deserves some praise. Look, I, I, I mean, I understand it took him a half 
Uh, and, you know, it's fine when you say, hey, adjust to the speed of the game. Uh, he hadn't really played since late December last year. Um, but hey, Willie Gay had some nice moments, but they were they were very brief. Um, so those are a few names I'll mention. Everybody else deserves criticism to some degree, and I mean let's let's give the people what they want, Josh. I don't. I mean, unless Seth has somebody else in mind. I mean, let's look. I can't think of another player that played well. Okay, with that in mind, <laughs> other than the the, and not that everyone played like complete crap. But right. No, right. no, no. Just, just not, not anywhere Great. near their best football. Correct. Yeah. Um, let's give the people what they want. I try to be measured, guys and gals. I, I try to provide insight and clarity and context, and you know this little thing called facts. I enjoy halftime. It's one of my favorite things of the week. But yes, it was fascinating that the Bills scored another touchdown because of you-know-who. And then I had to ask everybody just what, what their thoughts were. <laughs> and then Mother Nature, or or God, depending on who you, you know... Who you believe in was like God. God wasn't watching that game. Are you kidding me? He was like, let, let, God let, turned it off at halftime. Let's let's put some lightning in the in the area so we can we can get these so that I became I I was getting sucked in as everybody's counselor. Okay, it's <laughs> <laughs> just like look, I see it all. I if you want to light this man on fire, that's fine. If you want to shoot him to the moon, that's okay. I have no other options. <laughs> so it was just fascinating to know that like, oh, we're going to be in a weather delay, so severe weather delay for over an hour. And I imagine people have thoughts about Daniel Sorensen and I'm going to hear all of them. <laughs> um, Man, let me just say: Does Armani Watts have both feet still? Like, is there, I'm just curious. <laughs> I've, I've I've given up. I like Armani Watts. Who doesn't like Armani Watts? Um, so he played. Dan Sorensen played 100 percent of the snaps. <laughs> like at no point did did Spags even look on the field and say, "Hey, you know what? Let's give this man a water break. Like, let's give him an orange slice and let him recalibrate some things." Like, a hundred percent. He was out there. He, Tyron Matthew, and Legereus Sneed were the only three dudes out there a hundred percent of the time. And Rashad Fenton played all but two snaps. You know, just give him a, give him a breather. <laughs> so, that first deep touchdown was actually... What a cool thing to have to say, by the way. Mm. The first one. <laughs> it was actually remarkably similar to what Tyreek Hill did to Anthony Harris last week. Um, where you end up with, because of the called coverage, you end up with a safety essentially playing a weird form of man coverage in center field against a wide receiver with no one around him, right? And you remember what Hill did to Harris. It was disgusting and funny. (laughs) Um, Most safeties are losing that battle. The problem is Sorensen lost it so badly. 
and so early and just so that that the throw wasn't even good. Josh Allen could not believe it was Diggs, right? Mm-hmm. He couldn't believe how open Diggs was. And that's where I think I did the was rare. That one not Sanders. Which one? There's so many. Or maybe that one was Sanders. Yeah, there were so many. No, this Sanders. The, this... Sanders touched the Sanders touchdown was on Legarius Need, which was a actually a oh, perfect, right. perfectly thrown ball. Yeah, and, that was just that was an incredible. And Legarius, and I wonder if, if some guys on defense do this because they understand um, their circumstances. Where Legarius is like, gotta make a play, gotta make a play. He's throwing the ball. I'm gonna undercut it. Yep. Damn, that's six. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was bad. Um, but I mean, so Sorensen got ended up on an island in the deep middle of the field against Stefan Diggs. He's always going to lose that, right? Virtually every safety in the league is always going to lose that. Um, there's a reason why that's an advantageous matchup, you know. But to lose it that badly, and 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 to where the point where the ball can be terribly underthrown. Like, it was so badly underthrown that Sorensen, who was, like, 20 yards away when the ball was released, caught up and tackled him. <laughs> yes. And right, that's right, why when okay. people are like, wow, well, you know, he does lead the team in tackles. It's like, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. It's 61 he, yards downfield. Quote, unquote, he's always around the ball, guys. Yes. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's did, the ball is looking for didn't. him. Diggs didn't score on that. That was what I, I was going through the touchdowns oh, yeah, again. That's, yep, yep. Because he made the right. tackle, and they held him to a field goal after that. You no, know, the defense kind of stepped up at a few weird times, just enough yes. to give us hope. It was oddly hilarious. So um, <laughs> that that to me, it, it was such an example of. I did the rare, you know, all period after every word type tweet that I actually don't really like, and people used to do the clap, and it annoys me. But I, Dan Sorensen doesn't belong in that situation ever. Yeah. Let me and, say and that's that again. Where, like, everyone, everyone kept responding, well, he doesn't belong in an NFL roster. I don't know. He did until this year. Uh, this year he is not playing well at all because he's not playing well in the box. He's not playing well in zone. He's not playing well in man. He's not playing well anywhere. So maybe touche. But specifically, that's what he does badly. Even last year when he was playing a lot better than he was playing this year or in 2019 where he's playing better than he played last year, he didn't belong back there. And so at a certain point, it stops being on Sorensen. All he's doing is being told by the coach, hey, I want you to execute this and doing his very best. Like, it's not like anyone's accusing Dan Sorensen of not trying his hardest. But he's being told to do something that he can't do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would also lose in that situation. I would also try my hardest. And I also yeah. shouldn't be out there. <laughs> And that's the that's the exact point is people I think people tend to misdirect their vitriol in a lot of these situations. Mm-hmm. Now, now I can understand why people were mad about that touchdown down the right sideline. That was that one's un- brutal. That was so bad. Like that was just like, dude, you and, got and again, covering. And, and again, that's <sighs> there's a difference, is all I'm acknowledging in trying yes. to reference or mention. There's a difference. Between Stefan Diggs and Dawson Knox. Gosh. Well, and just losing him. And just... Ugh. So, Dan Sorensen doesn't belong on the field right now. And the fact that they're... And this is where... I'm going to list a few Dawson things. Dawson Knox ran a 4-5-4-40. Again. It's not... Again. He's not Stefan Diggs. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank I mean, you that's, fast for a, that's fast for a tight end. That is... That sure. is... That is... That is, that is but not, can, but not super fast for a safety. Yeah, you well, can, it's not like he. 
It's not like he like outran him, even though Sorensen's like, I should probably right. look That's back a good at the point. quarterback. It's like, dude, you yeah. practice against Mahomes every, every day. week. Right. Yeah. How do you I, not yeah. get how this notice. works? Yeah. So if if that was against Jalen Hurts, he still would have tried, probably. But maybe he doesn't get the ball there. Yeah. Josh Allen. He's and you practice against there. Patrick Mahomes. So what are we it, doing? <laughs> here's the thing that I'm frustrated by, what I'm seeing, and we're pretty early in the season still, but not that early. You know, you're you're over a quarter of the way in. For me, what's really frustrating is that I'm seeing some of the whole, you know, definition of, it, of insanity, uh, you know, Einstein's or whoever it was that actually said it, doing that same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Marching out Sorensen, it, it's frustrating when you see things that are obvious for someone like me. Because mm-hmm. if they're obvious to someone like me, and I don't mean obvious in like me having an opinion obvious, I mean things that are like just, just objectively true. If they're obvious to me, they're so obvious to the NFL. So obvious. And little things like marching out Dan Sorensen and not trying anything else. Not trying anything else. That's frustrating, right? Um, some of the some of the things that you're seeing in games, like I, I'm not always seeing a direct correlation between what doesn't work what does work, and then what they do. If that makes sense, it's like, well, Josh Allen's not doing well when we blitz the bejesus out of him. Yeah, where was you know? that? And then they, then they so on some crucial snaps in the in the fourth quarter, they drop they dropped seven, rush four. Yeah. They know they can't get pressure. You know it. I know it. The Bills knew it, and yet that's what they did, despite seeing. What made Allen uncomfortable and what was working and what wasn't? Um, stupid things. Why on God's green earth are you still running outside zone? They just destroyed a talented Eagles front running the ball straight ahead. Racing to the sideline is not working. That's not what Clyde does well. It's not what it's not what Darrell Williams does well. Maybe McKinnon. But it's not what the line does well. And they they barely tried any actual power. And and obviously, you know, the run game is kind of the least of the concerns. But man, when you... But if you're going up against against two high safeties all the time, then then it's a time to run it. Yes, and that's what exactly what they did against the Eagles. And it was one reason they were just unbelievably efficient while still running a lot. Because they said, you got two safeties there and you've got light boxes. We're going to run straight ahead and you're going to watch our interior line dominate. Fletcher Cox, and they did. Like, they dominated him. and But then they just move away from it. And again, I'm oversimplifying things. I always acknowledge these guys know way more than I ever possibly could, or 100 me's possibly could. But these look to be blatantly, glaringly obvious things that aren't necessarily being addressed. Things like the fact that Frank Clark clearly is not what they brought him in here to be. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's just mm-hmm. the truth. Imagine if they did the all the same stuff they did for Frank Clark, but instead he was playing like Chandler Jones. Um, I mean... Like that better. We, we we might still say, ah, I'm not sure if it was worth the price, but we wouldn't be that upset. You know what right. I mean? Especially yeah, if I talked like that, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where I'm just struggling to see learning from mistakes. On both sides of the ball. Exactly. And, this, and that, Clyde, that's Clyde was averaging... 
Clyde ended up whenever he, whenever he left the game, and it sounds like he'll be out for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Nate, you confirmed that earlier today, and we can come back to that if we need to. But he um he was he averaged one point nine yards per carry in the in this game in total. There were plenty of unproductive early runs, and not yeah. all of it was Clyde. Some of it was Darrell Williams, and then. Uh, in the uh, first possession of the second half, where the Chiefs had, by the way, an hour to work on stuff like that, you, I know usually like halftime adjustments. Most people say get way overblown because you've got like twelve total minutes before yes. you're back out on the field or whatever. Correct. Mm-hmm. They actually had an hour or whatever it was they on this time. one, and then they come out in the second half, and here's what happens: they hand it off to Clyde. He loses a yard. Mahomes picks it up, picks up the whole first down, going to Travis Kelsey. Then he hits Demarcus Robinson to make it second and two. Then they uh, do that little t- outside toss to Clyde, oh. which is not playing to anyone's strengths. Uh, not Orlando Browns. There might have been a tight end over there that was going to peel out. I can't remember, but not Clyde's strengths. And, and again, not anyone out there. No one's strengths were played to on that play. Then it was third and four, and uh, and Mahomes had an incompletion to Travis Kelsey. And the specific thing that I would like to point out here, I'm actually going to if you guys can see me one second, I'm going to walk out into the hallway really quick. Just hold on. One, I'll, be right, I'll be right back. They had second and two and punted. <laughs> that can't happen. No. That can't happen. Down 11, you, your defense just forced a three and out mm-hmm. to start mm-hmm. this second half mm-hmm. after an hour off. Mm-hmm. And you get to second and two, despite despite having your first play call of the half be another one of the most unimaginative lost ways you can lose one yard right out of the gate. And you get to second and two, and you punt two plays later. And and this this goes back to they need to acknowledge who they are. Like fundamentally, I don't know if there needs to be a mirror. Or if there needs to just be more heart to hearts, um, they are not as good as they think they are. Um, they can get there, but the way they're doing it right now is not is just not sustainable. Um, and so, whether it's not playing to your player strengths, whether it's um, sort of accentuating what the opposing team is good at, which is like, hey, um, the Bills have speed all over on defense, something the Chiefs defense does not have. Um, they, Damn near anywhere. Like, yep. so the gay being back was clear. He looked like he was playing with turbo running around everybody else on that defense. So there wasn't a lot of misdirection plays. Um, there was really no McCole Hardman jet sweep action to sort of – yeah. Um, Mystifying. Hardman's best receiving game as an actual wide receiver this year. Correct. Um, but Which I guess is cool. Turns, yeah, out that, turns out that there's pockets you can throw to down the sideline against cover two zone. Who knew? Sorry. Yeah, crazy. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. But, Sorry. But like there, there, there are certain things that they just didn't do or they didn't get to on the play sheet that is, you know, um, concerning because in years past, they could look at that sheet and be somewhat confident that anything they call would be successful uh, or that they would have an advantage. And again, this is where I would sort of remind people that like, if you want, if you wanting to be what the Patriots were, which is what the chiefs are trying to do, which is incredibly hard. 
No one ever did it before them. Correct. That, that's Not to this noting. degree. Yeah, I mean, you could say maybe the 49ers of the 80s and early 90s just because yeah, they were going from one Hall of Fame quarterback to another Hall of Fame quarterback, which, again, at that time, kids, was rare. Um, yeah. But outside Free of, salary cap. Yes. But but outside of those two franchises, if you're, if you're trying to extend excellence, like, you have to be willing to tell yourself who you are first and then get better at what you know you can get better at, what you will know will extend your ability to be successful or will increase your odds, I should say, and then hammer that over and over and over again. And I just, yep. they're, 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 they have so many concepts that it's impressive and it's, and it's marvelous to understand. But to your point, guys, like, they need to acknowledge what this, what these eleven to fourteen, you know, depending on skill position guys, they need to understand what this offense is good at, and I can say much of the same on the defense. Um, and again, acknowledging who you are is. I learned this pretty early in my sports journalism career, and I, I try to teach this to a lot of younger writers, um, people who need to analyze and try to bring some form of insight. The golden rule is you give a player, no matter the sport, you give the player about a month to justifiably have a quality sample size to say, this is what it is. Like, if it's two bad games, it's two bad games in football context. If it's two weeks of poor play in the NBA, in the NHL, if a guy goes in a slump for three weeks in baseball, that's fine. It happens. But we have played five games. And you just... You can't wait anymore when it comes to Daniel Sorensen. Sometimes the cliff comes much faster than you are willing to admit. But he's not on any ground. That's a really, I like that a lot. Not, I don't like that it's happening. But you make really good points regarding two things. Sometimes the cliff comes faster than you think. And maybe, um, I know Eric Eager was talking about this a little bit, that sometimes when you throw all your resources to addressing one problem, you assume that other things will go well, right? Mm -hmm. That good things will continue and good development will continue. We talked about that a lot in terms of like, say like Tershawn Wharton right? He had a good rookie season. So a lot of people expect, okay, well, if he was good as a rookie, he'll be really good as a second year player. That's not usually how it works. Honestly, um, there's often ceilings that people reach and it's just really hard to make the jump from average to really good in the Correct. NFL. Correct. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of tiers in between. Um, and so you see like some assumptions like, well, you know, Sorensen's got one more year left. Sorensen was worse last year than he was in 2019. And he was worse in 2019 well, 2019 might have been his best year, honestly, in terms of a limited role. When Juan Thornhill arrived, what do you know? Mm -hmm. um, time is a flat circle, and so is this <laughs> podcast. So it, you, you make some assumptions, and like they, they seem to just be so optimistic with certain things, like that, that Clark is going to recover his play. I don't know if he's been injured. I don't know what's going on. He had four or five years of excellent play, and just he's been kind of – okay you know what i mean not worth 28 million nope and, and that's tough and hey he no matter what he's got generational wealth so good on him you know that's awesome but 
there seems to be this optimism that these things are going to occur. And so then you can throw all these resources at other stuff. And that that's a problematic. And I think it relates back to you take some big swings and maybe have some big swings and misses. Kind of like with Sammy Watkins. I don't know if, the, if to this day, the organization ever realized that Sammy Watkins, for as much as he did do some things to contribute to the Super Bowl, you know, kind of similar to a Clark type thing, right? I don't think they ever really viewed that as a miss, you know what I mean? No, they don't. No, uh, yeah. no, no, they don't. I mean, and, that's, I, and I've said this before, like how much the how much everybody in the Chiefs organization appreciated what Sammy Watkins did, probably more than the actual fan base, um, because schematically he was a professional who right was willing to sacrifice in ways that like a top end talent usually doesn't do. But for sure. he, he did it for the betterment of the team. The only issue is he couldn't stay on the field as as consistently as. He, right. the team, or the fans want it. Absolutely. And he also never quite, he was just never, even when he was on the field, he wasn't always healthy. Right. And there just seems to be, but there seems to be a gap in how they view how that went and how I view how that went. And I'm going to assume that I'm right. <laughs> and it, it, I feel like there's that same gap between how the organization views Daniel Sorensen versus how I view how the organization views Anthony Hitchens versus how I view how the organization views Frank Clark versus how I view, you know what I mean? And, and maybe how they view draft picks, man. Like I I know that this is, I know this is beyond a dead horse, but like the reason you don't take a luxury pick of a somewhat limited running back with your first round draft pick is because you're going to need defensive help sooner than you think, like just somewhere. You know, I, it's it's why Willie Gay, I don't mind that as a swing because he actually has the athleticism that very few other guys in, in frankly, in Brett Veach's draft history has had. It's the consequences of having your first draft class that that right now, you know, would be you'd, it, they, it should have been guys who are about to go into their second contracts or you'd have some of those guys hold over. You have one player. And Derek Nottie that has any that, that has that has a role on this team. Dorian and Daniel and Armani Watts are bit players and, and no one else is still on the team. It's Colin Saunders as a third round pick felt like kind of a reach, but they thought they could develop him into something and it hasn't really happened. But you strike gold with Rashad Fenton, right? Like it it's it's why and I think that when we've had this conversation plenty, I do think that draft picks can be overvalued. But whenever you are also trading away a bunch of them to go get Frank Clark, now all of a sudden you've you've lost or Orlando Brown, to be fair, you've lost multiple potential rookie contract players that help you round out a defense. So all of a sudden, whenever whenever Dan Sorensen falls off a cliff, maybe you have another young safety you're more willing to put in there that fits that skill set. Maybe it's another linebacker that you can take Ben Neiman off the field more easily, or or maybe they step in for Anthony Hitchens. You don't have to draft Nick Bolton, um, who's another limited player who they spent their first pick in a draft on. I just the, these well, lines that, all man, connect. Let, let me let me just let me just it, note since we're piling on, and I, we might as well, right? It was a tough game, but they didn't have to draft Nick Bolton, and that to me it, it seem it feels like. And I'm not trying to step on Mizzou fans' toes here. I'm People get, some get hate for this really defensive about Nick Bolton. Yeah, and, and and Bolton's done a few good things and stuff, but he's clearly got some physical limitations that we were curious about. And we talked about this, that the hope would be he'd be a slightly more athletic Anthony Hitchens. I'm not sure he is. We also um, had hope that this year Anthony Hitchens would be a slightly more athletic Anthony Hitchens, and he's looked like a slightly more lost Anthony Hitchens. Right, yeah, you've, you've seen... You've, and so you weird. just see these things 
that, that makes you wonder about the process itself, right? It's like, did you not, you know, so we're going to grab another cerebral dude that maybe doesn't have the physical makeup to cover sideline to sideline in the NFL, which is virtually a necessity. Like, did, did we not learn anything? You know, watching Hitchens the last few years, what makes you say, hey, we should spend a second round pick on a guy who's very similar? Well, why though? Because that to me, it reflects that the organization, if like if I were to call Brett Veach and say, hey, what do you think of the fact that you've given Anthony Hitchens like $10 million a year? He might say, oh yeah, good investment. And I would say, really? And we might have this fundamental disagreement. And, and that's fine. That's going to happen. I'm probably wrong more often than I'm right. But it seems like the self-scouting, which is what I liked what you were talking about, Nate, so much, that the self-scouting doesn't seem to match up with the results they're getting. And at a certain point, what's the whole, you know, you are what your record says you are. And, and that's why this game felt so different. You know, the Ravens game, you know, they fumbled it away, right? The Chargers game, good Lord. I mean, the Chargers should be embarrassed that they almost lost a game, that they won the turnover battle <laughs> four to nothing. That's ridiculous. Especially, especially when Justin Herbert played extremely well. Yeah, he was playing lights out. And, like, it, it took Mahomes being a fire-breathing dragon in some points to do it and the defense doing some stuff. But, like, this game was just like, no, nah, man, it just wasn't happening. And it just what, – what I think that feeling is is just that concern that, okay, is the self-scouting occurring? Are you seeing that same thing? Or is this just like, oh, no, no, no. If we just coach them up a little better, this is going to get better. And and maybe it will to an extent. But there are some things here that look functionally non-functional. I just, I just want to tell fans, like, usually give a player a little more than a month. Yep. And if you, and if you don't, and if it just stays the same, then it's fair to to just fully criticize them, the coaching staff, whoever, especially in like an NFL landscape. I mean, we're through a quarter of the season, and um, you you just if they don't acknowledge to themselves that Daniel Sorensen is costing them games, or in layman's terms actual points <laughs> then they're going to have a fundamental issue all year because at this point it's like why not see where Juan Thornhill is why not give actual reps to Amani Watts who as I mentioned on Twitter at halftime played pretty well in a limited role as like that kind of third safety in the Cleveland Browns game, was not making this similar amount of gargantuan errors in coverage. Mm-hmm. And my biggest concern, and I don't want to freak fans out already, even though, yes, I've authorized them to hit the panic button. <laughs> Tyron Matthew is the best defender on this team through five games. Uh... He's played all five games. Well, he's played four games because of the COVID situation. But he's 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 the last man to get the last turnovers. Uh, teams are avoiding him like the plague for obvious reasons. I psychologically, big picture, what message are they sending? To Tyron Matthew in essentially a contract year, if he has to 
show up his teammate on national TV in front mm-hmm. of everybody, and they and they continue to trot out Daniel Sorensen, who again is not on ground anymore because any of us can see that that the cliff has already come and passed. So I just big picture wise, I just want to, it's just, you can go to battle with Tyron Matthew. I don't think you can go to battle anymore with Daniel Sorensen in this role. And it is sad to say, because I used to call this man trick or treat, the Tony (laughs) Allen of the NFL. And (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, he's not a treat anymore. And I, I hope, and everyone should know, man, he made one of the best open field tackles and legendary open field tackles in, in Chiefs history. None of this means that we don't, we're not appreciative. It's just things have changed. Time, it, things happen very quickly. And again, Chiefs fans turn on Eric Berry in like three months. So I don't think we have to explain. Don't remind Dan Sorensen. Don't remind me, Josh. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. I got into two until I was just for taking inventory there. Oh, Oh, yeah. That that got nasty. Eric Berry was at least hurt. Hey, at least least I know Daniel Sorensen is not going to say it's not in his soul. So at least I know that. Uh, Because I think that's what Chiefs fans is. And I understand. Understandably. Like, I would be be, um, offended too if legendary player was like it ain't in my spirit anymore and we're having one of the most remarkable seasons in franchise history and could use you if you were if if he was healthy yeah that that wow that didn't end well at all but it is remindful of like hey we there may be there may be more similarities on defense to 2018 than even i'm willing to acknowledge but did you see the stat today Mm-hmm. Did you see? Oh, this? I wanted to bring two defensive stats. I wonder if these are the ones I have. Oh, I I think I closed the tab. Okay, well I've got one of them still. Is it the, is it the one from uh, Brandon Kylie? Yeah, he tweeted out. Yeah, I got man. it for you. Yeah. Uh, the Chiefs defense is Shout allowing seven seven point one yards per play, according to Pro Football Reference. That's the worst mark through five weeks in NFL history. They're allowing an average of three point three points per drive. The last NFL team to score 3.3 points per drive for a season was the 07 Patriots, which is essentially pointing out that they are making every offense they play the 2007 Patriots. Um, Let's not also forget that this defense has surrendered at least 29 points in five consecutive games, which is tied for the longest stretch to start an NFL season in NFL history. They're number one. Uh, it really is. And, and it's not like they haven't. And this is one thing that I would say, because so one thing that's really ugly, this when things like this start going down, right, when things start going wrong, this is when the 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 I was right. And I was, you know, all the prior confirming starts to come out. And I told you all this, that kind of thing. And one thing I've seen is a lot of salary cap type stuff. And it's like, well, no, the Chiefs are they're bad because they 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 have no salary cap cash. I would just point out that they've invested more money on the defense than the offense. Mm-hmm. And you they've they've had the money to spend. It's kind of a misallocation of resources. That's right. And that's where they they're gonna need to make a decision, I I think personally. Like for me, the decision would already be made. At this point, 
to to what they need to do in terms of next year for like salary cap type stuff mm-hmm. because there's there's a few really obvious places they can save a lot of money and they need to really start thinking about that stuff now. Sure, yes, you keep trying to win this year and that kind of stuff. But th- I think the part that has me concerned is this, the, the the idea of how the team is built from the ground up and whether or not that self-scouting is really working or if we're going to see kind of more of the same type stuff next year. Like, well, what we need is, 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 you know, really smart players that can get the scheme. It's like, sure, if they run a 4-4-40, great. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I want them to be smart too. But... I'm just I'm concerned. I, I I the perpetual optimistic guy say it's perfectly fine to hit the panic button, knowing the Chiefs will still v- almost certainly make the playoffs, and nobody's gonna. No matter how the rest of the season goes, if the Chiefs make the playoffs, nobody's gonna want to play them. Mm-hmm. Like you know what I mean? I, I don't care how the rest of the season goes. You're not gonna want to be the team. Like you, you could be the one seed and be like, oh, we're hosting the Chiefs, and a really pissed off Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. And so that's still a thing, but so is everything else we've been saying for the last hour. Um, we'll we'll have another show for you late this week to to look ahead to this Washington game, and I'm sure talk about a lot a lot of other of these sort of bigger picture things. At some point, the whole like misallocation of funds, looking at the salary cap stuff. I do think this is probably a pretty good time to do kind of a you know quarter season check in. But if I want to really put everybody in a terrible mood as we send them out from the end of this podcast, there's something that struck me yesterday looking at uh, over the cap. And I'm going to just I'm just going to tell you what it is because it's not you're not going to like it. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, salary cap hit this year is seven point four million dollars, a little under seven and a half million. And next year, it's thirty five point seven. And. What what that that's not me going. Oh, all of a sudden they're gonna have no space, or they're you know Mahomes is gonna have to live up to his, his deal. Right now they have twenty seven players under contract in the next year, and that includes Laurent Duvernay Tardif, who's actually just dead money there. Frank Clark, who will not who, who cannot be here. Anthony Hitchens, who cannot be here. Um, I mentioned that on Mahomes to make this point about twenty twenty one. This is the last year of their most open window. Yep. Because they're going to have Patrick Mahomes for the next decade, and that's going to mean that they are always Super Bowl contenders. Always. At the beginning of a season, everyone will have Patrick Mahomes' team being a contender. Favorite, uh, second team in the AFC West, could be anything. But they'll be in the conversation. But their biggest window ends this year. And that is a bit of a tough pill to swallow five games in at two and three. And... If you want to know how that went for the previous team in such a in such a circumstance, that team is the Seattle Seahawks. I don't love that, Nate. But I'm here to provide facts and insight and context. If you'd like to read more of Nate's fun, uplifting work, you can do that at theathletic.com. And, and Seth, of course, as well. If you'd like to read more of Seth's uplifting and fun and lighthearted work, you can read that at <laughs> mnchiefsfan.substack.com. If you want jokes about Dan Sorensen, you can follow me on Twitter at JB Briscoe. If you want facts and therapy, you can follow Nate at by Nate Taylor. And if you want uh, audiobooks that he'll read to you, you can follow him on Twitter at realmnchiefsfan. <laughs> um, and... Uh, <laughs> That's that's what we got for you today. Nate, you can wrap us up, get us out of here. No lightning delays for this show. We got it all in in about an hour. 
That's right. As you hit the panic button, take a deep breath. And just remind... Seth, take a deep breath, Seth. You didn't do it. I didn't hear you take a deep breath. Take a deep breath and be remindful that at some point this offense is going to stop turning the ball over at an impressive clip and prepare yourself for shootout after shootout.